Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda. Today on Her Stories, we speak with activist, feminist linguist, and political activist, Radha Boric. Welcome, Radha. Welcome, and I'm uh, sending a great... uh Sunny uh, greetings from Croatia, a capital of Croatia, Zagreb. Um, and we, I need to tell the listeners that besides being fellow activists, we are also friends. You're one of my most treasured friends, very close to my heart. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> um, but, and I love you too, <laughs> Rada. Um, you wear so many hats. I would like you now to introduce yourself to the listeners. You tell me as many Radha. women, I'm sure in Cyprus, it's the same with me, and especially with activists. We really have so many different identities. As you just said, we are friends, and we are feminist friends, and we are sisters, and we are in solidarity with each others. I'm also, and I have been from the 90s, as as maybe still uh, some of the listeners could uh, remember, former Yugoslavia really ended up in a severe war. So I have been uh, uh, one of the key also peace activists, supporting women, refugees, and working really in depth with women who survived the most horrible sexual violence uh, during the, the, the conflict and war, and this is rape. And of course, I'm very proud that I'm a feminist linguist who has been one of co-founders of the Center for Women's Studies in Zagreb. I've been teaching feminist critique on language, especially Slavic languages that has gender. It's very important to kind of not only destroy the stereotypes around women, but also in language itself to promote gender grammatical uh, feminine gender to immediately know, do we speak about a pilot as a male or pilot as a female? That in language also, if we do not exist in language, it looks we do not exist then. If you say a sentence like uh, a pilot entered the room, then we all presume it's a male one. So when you say pilot or pilotkinya, which is a, a variant for the feminine one, everyone knows that the woman also now can hold the position of being a pilot. So this is for me also important. And I think over my 20 years of as a feminist linguist, theoretical work and speaking about this, I'm really very proud that compared to other Slavic countries or former Yugoslavia, Croatia has on a national TV, in all of the documents, you have to use grammatical gender. So this is one of a small contributions, but there are also... You know, as many women, I've been supporting all possible movements from from uh, fights for women's reproductive and sexual rights. And of course, the huge one that we all share, it is a struggle against violence against women. Mm. And as you uh, you know, that what what is really not only unjustful, I think this is something that it's not acceptable that almost more than 50% of inhabitants women 
are daily violated. Now, when we speak, one woman might be murdered, might be raped, and, you know, three in this very second might be beaten up. So this is something that I cannot believe that half of the population, that what connects me and a woman from the Philippines or Mexico or Cyprus, it's not how clever we are, how political we are, how beautiful we are, how creative we are. This is violence against us, and this is really unacceptable. But rather when I listen to things online or when I hear stories about violence against women, I think to myself, how can it be happening? It's an epidemic. It's a worse virus than the one that we're surviving, going through now. How is it acceptable that people consider the body of a woman theirs to do with as they want? It's beyond this me. A, this is a, a real Magda question. You know how many times we speak. And of course, then we have to turn to the really roots, not only that it's rooted in our culture, in our Bibles or, or, or our Qurans, uh, the, the position of women that we are really always treated as a second one. Mm. And that we are all through history been treated as, I would say, a goods yes. or at, at least a kind of a surplus if you really see somebody would say when we talk about prostitution, then, you know, male or audience would say, but this is one of the oldest profession in the world. No, the oldest is is a pimping. <laughs> it's in the Bible. You have a father that would give own daughter. You have from the Greek times, you have all this wonderful that now we see sculptures that eventually the women have been raped, not that only have been captured. Mm. So when you see that patriarchy eventually survived all these historical power, uh, uh, periods and is lasting and hopefully, you know, it's not so strong as it has been before, it is about power. Mm. It is something wrong that one part of humanity doesn't want to share power with the others. And then what you have, it's not only that men do not want to share power. And I think, you know, usually we say Violence is a power to hold the power over women, but it's also to hold the power over workers, to hold the power over children, and even to hold the power over over nature. Yes. So instead of sharing and to have more, I think that we have been taught uh, badly in school in math that, you know, if you and I share, I have less. No, I have more. I shared with you knowledge and you pass it on as a torch and sharing should be the basis of humanity. Yes. And it's not now in Croatia and most probably in every country, it's more of this so-called sovereignism, you know, mm. how to be your own, like a new modern word for, for nationalism. Mm. And I would say you do not create sovereignism by having a, a wire around your country. This just make you enclose. If you want to really be a sovereign country, then be hospitable and in fact protect public goods. Yes. And this is what we sold out and destroyed. Our, most probably like in Cyprus, our coast or our waters and how we treat climate catastrophe, not only climate change that we speak I think this is how we care about green economy. Mm. Do we care that all our children have food that is from our surroundings, not from a huge international shopping centers in schools or hospitals? This is, I think, that we have to change the concepts of what is, let's say, left. You know, what, yes. what is uh, 
what is exactly, what is human security, what is to preserve whatever national pride. It's not to, to keep your hand as a nationalist on your heart and then, you know, steal and put the things that are public in your pocket. No, no, to me, nationalism is only valuable if I, I stretch out my hand to you across the border. As if I share, if I welcome, if I feel comfortable in me, then I'm a, then I have pride in my country. But if I take away But from it, you to keep for myself, then no, I also don't want it. I don't think, not I don't want it, it has no value. It's destructive, it creates competition. It creates conflict. Exactly. But when you think Cyprus, like Croatia, although we are kind of in the middle of Europe, we are also periphery of Europe. And it is usually visible in the distribution of, of goods in Europe and distribution also of politics. And now I think many of the things has been disclosed during this invisible threat of coronavirus, not only threat, but of course there, there has been deaths. And we all started listening to what finally, let's say, said scientists and and we took care of how did we behave not to spread it. Mm -hmm. But then you see, let's say in Croatia, immediately a ruling party took it over like they saved us. You know, yes. you always turn it then to some, somebody has a political profit out of this. And you, then you find out that during the, the, the crisis that you had really like mafia who earned money on, let's say, buying instruments or buying things uh, to to suppress corona. Mm. Plus, during the corona, let's say, Zagreb has a, a huge earthquake. Yes, I remember that. This, and that's unbelievable. Then when you see, when we go back to why you and I are talking today about women, it's when you really see not only in Croatia, but everywhere, During the front on on so-called front line, I don't like this militaristic uh, language. You know, on the battlefield, first the women as the nurses in hospitals. Ninety uh, percent it's European data. The women who has been exposed, mm. women who has been working as a cashiers in the shops or little, in little kiosks, plus coming home to be with the children because the school, the schools were closed. So we have this e famous e-learning mm. where, of course, kids need, needed support. And this is the same situation like in Europe with the economic crisis in 2007, 8 and 9, when you had that the crisis was again, and our European women's lobby exactly made a wonderful uh, uh, research on how economic crisis was on expense on a cost on women. Yes. So you start saving during the crisis, so you save on social services. Mm. You save on social services, which should be like support to women, and then you cut also in social services, uh, let's say salaries, and majority in social services are working women. Yes. When you see also now women working in the house for elderly people, in hospitals or in shops, So it means that this system always trying to fit so that women, in fact, are paying the death of whatever is uh, going on. I agree. I agree. It's actually, I watch it and my heart gets so sore and I get so angry. But let's go back to the biggest crisis against women in the 90s, the the the. The, the war. The war. And in the, the Balkans. In the yeah, Balkans in the and the effect Yugoslavia. it had on women and the initiative that came out of there, which was uh, quite innovative at the time. And I would like to hear about that. I think, you know, uh, what peace activists and feminist activists in particular 
what they did, of course, when you have a crisis, like it started like as a conflict between uh, two republics and three, then let's say in Bosnia, all three sides by et ethnicity and by religion, they, they divided the land and divided the people who were wonderful neighbors, like 30% of marriages in Bosnia were like mixed, mixed as we say, mixed. <laughs> there were Muslims married to, to Christian uh, Catholic Croats or to Orthodox Serbs. Suddenly they were enemies because also this suited to political elite. Because mm. if you remember till 1990, Yugoslavia was a socialist country. Suddenly we had this tr transition to capitalism, where everything was privatized by the same elite from a previous system, <laughs> mainly. And of course, with the new, new, new war -ish. What we had when the war started, so of course, women were, uh, it's not like somebody would say this is a feminist theory. It's by UNHCR statistic, 80% of refugees all over the world are women, children, and elderly. Mm. While men were fighting, you know, women were moving from one refugee camp, one village to another. So we started working with, first with uh, uh, with uh, Croatian um, women and children expelled from the parts that were occupied in Croatia by, by Serb paramilitary, because we had a Serbian minority in Croatia. And then, you know, um, when the refugees from Bosnia came, Croatia was like a transit country toward the West. We started working really with women who were severely violated in the war. Mm. It's not that it's women. We are kind of uh, putting the scale on who has a greater pain. Like you might lose your son and I might be raped or, or you just lost your home or you just lost your cow. It doesn't matter. We do not compare mm. the, the suffering and the pain. This is a feminist approach when we work with violence as we don't accuse women who didn't leave the violator the way how we would do it because we have to know everybody has own history. So we start working with women and then the war ended up and we've seen that of course, military men, they got their pensions, they got their special allowances if they were wounded, you know, as for the uh, invalidity mm -hmm. and so forth. Nobody took care of what happened to civilians. Nobody took care of what happened to raped women. So we decided, and that was what was very important, that women from Serbia, from Macedonia, Montenegro, Bosnia and Croatia, we all during the war, We've been together in sisterhood. We really have been smuggling to each other's over a third country's messages that we are friends, that we are not enemies as government would immediately make, you know, another another side like in Cyprus, everyone is an enemy. Yes. Why a friend of mine in Belgrade would be my enemy because Milosevic is who he were, mm. was. So what we did, we decided and we started immediately after 95 when the war was over that we would try to to make something that we all learned that existed as before after second world war as a national as a, a tribunal for the war crimes mm. and we thought we would make a special um, women's tribunal and this is what we've learned i've been on preparatory 1999 in japan with japanese feminists organize a tribunal for women who have been violated in the second world war so-called comfort, comfort women yes, comfort that whenever you know japanese soldiers will come in to parts of china or in the or indonesia and then they would put women in the brothels yes. and of course would abuse them so when you think that 
40 years after the war, I think because feminist women has been exposing the rapes in the Balkans, the rapes that happened after the war in Germany. So wherever, you know, the, the armies would pass, so not exactly. only the war, but post-war as retaliation. So, so we've learned that they really did kind of, um, they had a real court with the judges and they had a court with testimonies. When mm -hmm. Japanese soldiers, old grandfathers that day, I saw a grandfather, a former soldier, soldier who hasn't seen even that day that something was wrong. He thought he had the right to, after the battle, to be comfort, to get this, you know, comfort woman. And that, that woman, that, yes, and that woman was obliged to give it to him. There's no, there was no question of consent. No, no, not consent. <laughs> you know, you were just like, you were just like captured as a slave mm. and women would speak that they were just there and the soldiers didn't have a sense. They didn't know that they have been literally stolen from some parts that were occupied. What we decided then we would make a special women's court for former Yugoslavia. And we did a court in Sarajevo. We thought this was the heart of former Yugoslavia and with the most horrible atrocities that happened there with, with a siege of a town for two years with mm. many raped women in Bosnia. But we also didn't want only to focus on a court to sexual violence because sexual violence exactly is rooted in this militarization, in nationalism, in capitalism. Like, whom are you accusing on such a court? So what we did, that women representatives, we had kind of a different sessions where women spoke from one side of women who were violated in war. There were women who were, who were, let's say, on strike hunger for like years or several times they did it because they wanted to pro protect women's, uh, women's work in uh, factories that have been overnight bought by, by different type of mafia. And we also had a special session, which usually we neglect ourselves as activists. It was about women defenders of human rights. Yes, we always because forget. Because also we have been threatened for the work we did. <laughs> yes. I've been called in our newspaper as a traitor to Croatia, as somebody who supports Milosevic because I was supporting women. You know, so you you had to... And I think it was powerful because there were 500 uh, women or maybe 600 women in the audience and men as well. Mm -hmm. And there were women who have been prepared to be there. You have to empower women, not to misuse women. Many times I was so angry during the wartime, journalists would come and say, could you supply me with a rape woman, preferably speaking English? You know, <laughs> and there was a peasant woman from some village not knowing any. And I said, what for? You know, like she's in a process of healing. Mm. It's not that she's going to talk to everyone. So what we did, we did, took very good care on what we called on principles of feminist ethics. That these women are really subject of this court and not usually objects. And how they, we know how we, during the peacetime, how are women treated when they talk about rape? Then you have the judges who are trying, or defenders, who are trying to prove that she really wanted this or yes. that she was drunk or had a short skirt or oh. whatever. So this, this was really important. It was important that for the first time women were in focus ever in former Yugoslavia, not, you know, men, uh, former soldiers mm, and so yes. forth. But also it was important for us as a, as a network of women from former Yugoslavia who did it.
Well, I think you've brought up the, one of the most important points is that after conflict or during conflicts, the rights of women are usually not considered ever. And for the first time, women were considered what women had experienced during the war, and it's not the first time, was exactly. actually it was actually taken into consideration and was dealt with. They were given a voice. They told their stories. And, there and was not a only process. this, we, I'm sorry, we had an influence then to our governments. Our point was that we were fighting that, as you know, uh, uh, men got reparations for their participation in war. They got many of them young men. They yes. got like for two years that they have been in war, they all retired <laughs> and unfortunately stayed at home with their PTSP instead of being back welcome into com community. What we did, so Bosnia, Kosovo and Croatia were fighting strongly that women who have been sexually abused, that they would have been recognized as victims of war. Because luckily, by the International Court in The Hague, the rape in war has been pronounced the crime against humanity, yes. which cannot, you know, like be neglected. And there is no end till when you could come out and speak about this. Because, you know, when you start to fight this 10, 15 years after the war, they would say, ah, oh, you know, it's all past. It's all gone by the time. What we did in Croatia, and I'm really very sorry that Croatian government didn't know to, I would say, not to brand it, but like to really, whenever they would have possibility, to promote the law we did. But you know how it goes. This law has been done during the government that was run by social democrats. Mm -hmm. And then we got a very right-wing party and they just stopped it. They are not, you know, promoting it. What we did with the law, why I'm so proud, of course, it could, could have been better. But I think what I'm proud, it's really in, in at least three senses, it's a, it's a really feminist law. What we managed to put for the first time in any type of criminal, uh, in a law that then criminal code was changed because of this, it is that it's that the proof of burden, it's not on a woman. So it means if you tell me I was raped, it's not I don't trust you. It's not that you have to prove that you have been mm. the here and here and here. Can you imagine 20 years after the war that you would have to have some medical documents <laughs> and you were raped in a cellar or in a wood? It's nonsense. It's you to tell that you were raped, that this was this date, that you know where you were. But then it's about them if they don't want to trust you that they check where the military operation and who was there. Uh, so this, this is crucial to that. It's not the burden. It, a woman would give a testimony, not in front of a huge panel, but in front of psychiatrists, in front of there was a military a guy who was maybe in this operation somewhere to kind of it. He wants to question something. So I think that was a really a huge thing. And the second one was usually you have a law that they give a deadline. You know, there is everyone uh, yes. who has been raped. Till this date, you have to come with all of the documents, papers, and so forth. A statute Complained. of limitation. Exactly. So I think this is what we said. No, you can't put it. Doesn't matter. Women, when they would be 80, like in Japan or like in Korea about comfort women, the really grandmas who would, you know, be empowered in their 80s to tell, this is what happened to me when I was a girl. And I think this is really, really good thing. And I'm so unhappy that, that Croatia um, is 
kind of, I would say this is again, this layer of patriarchy is absolutely neglecting uh, women's rights. You know, they are delaying. We don't have five years national action plan on um, gender equality. We, it took us five years to, to get uh, a second national action plan on 1325 on women, mm. peace and security. It's not nobody speaks about, you know, when they make plan or reports, they think that this is about how many more women we have in military. Yes. They don't, and yes. The, uh, the women we send, you know, in our UN troops to Afghanistan, it's not about this. It's about human security. It's about, you know, how do you respect women and the same ministry, let's say, of foreign affairs that is supposed to be in charge for the, for the uh, implementation of national action plan didn't even make the report on how the first action plan has been implemented. And I think this is problem in many of our countries. It is a problem. Many of the good laws. Croatia got very good laws when we were in the waiting room of Europe, when we, when we, you know, waited to be accepted in European Union, and they agreed to everything. The documents, the laws are wonderful. Implementation, Sucks. like never happened. Mm-hmm. The minute uh, uh, 1913 we entered, nothing. You don't do anything on gender equality. Um, Rada, we could carry on forever. What I would like you to talk about, which is very similar to what you've been talking about, is your um, participation or your or the, your contribution to the One Billion Rising campaign, which we all, some of us are aware of in Cyprus, we're part of the movement, but that too had as a starting point the, the conflict in Bosnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also, you know, there are luckily very many different type of now women's movement against violence against women, very many networks in Europe and in the world. But One Billion Rising started from the V-Day that started uh, activist, but also great writer and a great friend to both of us, Eve Ensler. And when she started it, she started it on a Valentine's Day and we kept it as a date because usually we think Valentine's Day is when, you know, uh, boys to girls are buying hearts and <laughs> yes. flowers and chocolate. And parallelly, we discovered, let's say, in Croatia, uh, when you had the the pools on attitudes of youth, that even young women say that it's okay to get one slap <laughs> from a boy. And, you know, when you have uh, such a stereotype, some position of, of women and men, and then even women are... For women are some things acceptable. So what we thought we wanted just on that day to say, it's not that you bring me a chocolate heart. Your heart has to be on the right side. You could be rough. You could be, we have wonderful men from hockey, one hockey team in Croatia that supports one billion rising. And one player said, you can be rough, but in sports, not with women. Oh, how nice. <laughs> and he really made a beautiful three of them video in English. I could send you that you see how wonderfully uh, they did it. When you see that we on One Billion Rising had now this year police officer dancing with women because, you know, you want to educate, to change things. The, the battle against violence against vi- women, violence wouldn't stop if only us women would be involved. Mm. And you know how many times all of us are telling, look, there is something, a topic issue on women in politics or women in work, Mm. hardly any men in audience. While we don't accept and we have friends and brothers and you have a son, we have a wonderful man Mm. that 
are our allies. It's just that we have to support also them to be more vocal, that they are not ashamed to tell I'm against violence against women. I don't want my friend, my sister, my mother to be raped, never. So I think when we started this One Billion Rising, I'm very proud because I'm supposed to be a coordinator for all entire region, including, I think, from also Hungary and the Cyprus. Yes, And yes. just like being in communication <laughs> and to tell what we decide that maybe is the main, main topic. But since it's, a, I would say, movement, the biggest, most probably global movement against violence against women has no special seat or not special people somewhere. Uh, several of us, we divided the world in in like uh, some zones. And then we talk and say, okay, what is the main issue maybe around violence in your country? And then somebody would say the trafficking in women in Mexico. And we would say post-war violence. And let's say you would say migrant women mm. that are in horrible position. Or in Britain, they would say... Um, house help women from Philippines and so forth. So we would say, okay, should the topic be solidarity with all of them? Do we have Roma women in focus mm -hmm. or women with disability that are triple discriminated? So what we would, uh, we would choose, but we would give a liberty to people to do it, what is in their context. And I think this is also about feminism to mm. let you express that we are creative. We, uh, somebody, we started at the beginning dancing. I almost yes. forgot the dance. Now we are much more marching. And thanks to also this movement, we have a very good uh, type of um, Me Too movement in Croatia, which also happened when uh, several women have been killed, for the first time in my life, 20,000 people were on the streets. But can I just interrupt you for one second? Yes. The thing I liked about, I like about One Billion Rising is the creativity. It's the fact that yes. you can dance, you can put paintings, you can do acting, you can tell stories. So it actually, because as a feminist and as an activist my whole life, I'm actually tired of the theory. <laughs> Thank you. But this is why I really love One Billion Rising, because, you know, I would tell we are all a little bit as an all older activist, yeah. not physically, <laughs> uh, but, but by experience that, that, you know, I'm also tired, you know, 12 steps how to overcome violence. You make a leaflet, you, you give to women on a square, they would think it's a advertisement yeah, for exactly. maybe pizza or shoes. So when you have One Billion Rising, really the kind of a focus verse Let's be creative. Women are creative. Women are wonderful. They dance, they sing, they drum. If you would see in Montenegro last year, there was like a, a school for women drumming huge drums. Can I, they, can I interrupt you again? And I think when you're creative and you make the climate softer, it also allows the people that have been victims of violence to actually open up. Exactly. And like you said, storytelling. Yes. You just give women. Yeah, I remember maybe five years ago, there would hardly be a woman who would gladly come to, let's say, TV show, even if she would be screened, you know, and her voice changed. She would not reluctantly talk about violence. Mm. With all the support that now came on social networks, you have the groups which women with their full names are talking what happened to them. Exactly. When you feel safe, you know, when you feel also acknowledged, when you, and I personally think when you have, let's say, event like with One Billion Rising, that you have a band mm. and that you have a men actors reading, 
a boring Istanbul convention <laughs> by the articles. You know, Article 26, no woman should be, which is boring. You have an actor, a male, and then in between women singing. Yes. So when you mingle this, you have like a, a women, a minority women, Roma women reading Roma poetry. Mm. You have in the evening vagina monologues are still going strong for 20 years that still there are new generations that really think it's a shameful to talk about this down there. Yes. Oh, they, so I, we've got to get rid of the shame, and I think that's what One Billion Rising does. It helps to lift the curtain of shame. Exactly, exactly. And it's enough that you are encouraged, that you have a person like I'm sure that today Eve is in Washington with other group from One Billion Rising in support uh, for what what is going on with this idiot of president that they have mm -hmm. and to support black people. Yes. When I was in New York uh, last year, there was a huge, uh, huge protest uh, called the Black Lives Matter. Yes, Because yes, it I remember is not a new thing that police is beating up to death black people. So, and you know, there were also white people supporters and Eve was one of the rare speakers to speak there. Mm. And she talked like a feminist that as a feminist, we really don't care. We, not that we, we don't have a country. We don't have our own people. We really think what we talk, we really stand behind. It is about solidarity and humanity and love. Now, I agree with you because I don't want to be okay alone. I want all my sisters to be okay, regardless of where they live, color they are, education they have, or whatever. So to me, I agree with you, it's a case of solidarity. It's a case of putting your money where your mouth is, actually walking the exactly. talk, regardless of the position you're in. And really, we so little, and this should be like a main maybe point of 1325, it is about human security, not about national security, mm. not about more militarization, not about everyday uh, 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 selling all kinds of, of fake news, mm. not about hatred toward refugees that are coming to Europe. They are coming as, you know, refugees because something is not right exactly. in the whole system we live. They wouldn't leave their wonderful countries. They are not guilty that their countries are bombed, destroyed, or that they have Taliban's. Mm. And, you know, if everyone would look in own family, especially it goes for Cyprus, it goes for Yugoslavia, but there is no country. Like, look at America. America was built on refugees. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that they also have been violent to predecessors there, yes. you know, American Indians. So Indian. when we really think that we have to cope with our past, but think future. Otherwise, if we really destroy, this is what Eve would say, if we destroy land, Mother Earth, if we destroy women, maybe, you know, Mother Earth would tomorrow just decide really to make a huge shake and, you know, to say, okay, get rid of <laughs> all of us mm. because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to, de to destroy this beautiful nature that we have and that we are not human to each mm. other's. Talking about solidarity, you, what is the Mediterranean Woman Mediators Network for you? What do you think it can bring in terms of the solidarity that is so important for all of us? What I think that, that is new with this network is that finally I saw one country 
and this is through Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, that really stood behind what they, when they had a presidency, what they really initiated the tackled women. Mm. Let's say Croatia now in six months had only one kind of seminar on women on a workplace. Okay. None of the women from so, uh, civil society was invited. <laughs> they didn't think it would be good maybe to talk about how to post how post-war uh, healing would be mm. and maybe how mediation happened, what we really did as women in our communities so that again you have Serbs and Croats living in peace in Croatia. So th- what I really appreciate is that that Italian uh, ministry found out a rather Sometimes you and I might ask, how did we end up being mediators? Somebody was smart there who decided there were women who were diplomats, let's say from Croatia, aside of me, is only one my colleague who was a minister, minister, woman minister of justice mm-hmm. and who at the end of the war really negotiated one part of reuniting Croatia and Serb- from Serbian parts. Mm-hmm. There was not a single bullet spread. So instead, and I think what Vesna shared with us, and this is when you see what's wrong, that Vesna said, they sent me in a mission, they thought I wouldn't succeed. They were wrong. (laughs) You know, they were wrong. I'm sure if they send men, it wouldn't be successful Mm -hmm. because we know we have a different communication skills. We different think about about what is a community. It's not only me, me, and my interests. Mm. For us, community is a wider family. Yes. It's dividing the wealth that we have in a village. We've seen in the war how women have been taking care of the whole communities. So why I think the network is good? Because we have a mixtures, mixture between women who have a high rank already in a different international organization, but also women as you and I. Yeah. An activist, women down to earth, that own government often, if not to say all the time, do not respect with the knowledge, with the experience that we have in how we might really reconciliate communities. Now, I agree And with how you. we would know, you know, in our own way. I remember, just as a good example, when the war ended, um, an American um, foundation came and told, I was working in the Center for Women and War Victims, and said, look, we will give you a project and the money to reconciliate Serbs and Croats in six months. Oh, nice one. We said, <laughs> six and months. And I said, look, we, yes. And I said, well, great. We were not the one who put the conflict in, but we know how the things we do. We have a self-support group with women in a Serbian part of a divide, like, uh, looked really like Cyprus. There yeah. was a divide always. We thought this is like Cyprus in the Spakrats with Serbian and Croatian side. We were working both sides. When the war was over, we opened one center and told to women on both sides, if you want to come, we have a project that you could earn something working together. And they knew that we were visiting both sides. You know, They came and then you know, one woman, a Serbian, would say, look, this Croatian woman is very nice. She showed me how this teaching uh, was done. I didn't know this. You know, you put human beings in a human kind of surrounding. Yes. You don't force anything. You talk to them. And most important, you listen to them. Mm-hmm. Men are not listening to women, not uh, in a political sense listening what we have to tell. No, I agree. And I agree that the, the, the these networks that are developing now, of which the Mediterranean Women Mediates Network is one, is bringing together such a diverse group of women with so many different skill sets, 
every time I meet one of them, another one, mm-hmm. I learn something new. Another window is opened for me. So it's it's ama- it amazes me that these women are not in high positions. Because but there's you know, so much also, skill. Yes, but I also wish that somebody would tomorrow make a small who would have a power and has to come from institutional power, let's say, some Italian, German or some ministry and would say, okay, in this delegation are not going, let's say, to Lebanon or wherever, to Cyprus, are not going men in gray suits. In this delegation are at least 50% of women. And they go... And they let them negotiate. When negotiation for Kosovo were, for the independence of Kosovo, there was Mati, Mati Ahtisari, former Finnish president, mm-hmm. who even got Nobel Peace Prize for what supposedly he did in Kosovo. Didn't do much. <laughs> and luckily, how I used to teach in Finland, one of my other other things in my life, I used to teach at University of Helsinki, learned Finnish, and I had wonderful students who learned Croatian language, and one of them was advisor to Ahtisari since he knew Croatian and Serbian. And I told to Matthias, I said, Matthias, how comes that in a team around negotiation table, you have one woman from Serbia's side who is from Red Cross, and we all know that she is put to this place as a Serbian nationalist. And then you don't have from Alba- uh, Kosovo side Albanians and Serbia's side two women from Serbia, women in black, let's say Stasha Zajevic. Yes. And you don't have from Kosovo women also, let's say, um, Igbale Rugova. Mm-hmm. You don't have two of them who signed kind of a women's peace agreement on Kosovo and Serbia. Mm. Who did it? Who put communities together? And I said, you would have a much better document than having only officials around the table. And then the same Finns, whom I was preparing uh, their military to come, you know, and and open a, a center in one village. And then Finns told me, oh, you know, we have opened the center for women to come and no one is coming. And I said, what do you know about this community? (laughs) This is a community, not only that this is a Muslim community, but a woman to come to kind of that one military open up some center. And what on um, talking to women about uh, sexual violence in a war? open a center to teach women about breastfeeding and bring some other women, you know, when they don't think how you want to do it. So this is a peace negotiation. You start talking about, I don't know, around women, about health issues, about raising babies. Then would happen between you and me, two women, you know, who would work together. Maybe you would hear from some of them that they were violated. You don't go through refugee camps as they did. I was in, in Albania, in Tirana. And then from one NGO, they told me, we went to the refugee camp. We were asking who was raped. <laughs> you know, it's senseless, <laughs> okay. senseless, not knowing we have been working with violence. Does not matter concerning women? Evansler would say, to quote her, "We are always in war yes, because always. of the violence." Okay, we we. Um, I we, think we are at the end. We at the end, but there's one question <laughs> I want to ask you, okay. so that we can close. If you could, if you could give me a role model, who would you consider a role model? Who is someone you've admired or who continues to aspire you, besides Evansler? Besides Evansler, there are so many role models. I would really make a. Uh, 
huge mistake if I would name one. I think, as you said, and we mentioned that I was one, pronounced one of the seven, seven most powerful feminists in the world. This is nonsense. It's not only that as feminists, we don't like this, uh, this, uh, uh, Forbes lists, you know, the, <laughs> I wished I was one of the seven, the most, uh, um, uh, rich women. So to give money to the causes I want, Yes. but the most power feminist women, no, as a women, we don't like hierarchical structure. It's really flat structure. Mm. So like if I think there are so many wonderful women from ordinary women, from some nanas, you know, grandmas that <laughs> I learned this wisdom from a woman from a village hardly having a primary school to a wonderful role models of a different women. Scientists or philosophers, doesn't matter, is it Hannah Arendt, whom I really love, or, you know, is it Jane Fonda as a, as a fighter in, in, in the 70s against war in Vietnam? So, so many, and so many wonderful women in Cyprus. I have to praise all my wonderful friends that I have beside of you <laughs> that are but, daily, no, that are, you are also all daily working to make your community better. Mm. It's, you are fighting not only that you have this divide that it's not necessary, but you also fight against violence. You are fighting on a different, I think we are fighting every day just for the one side to preserve our rights mm. because they are in declension every day. Somebody is threatening to take them away and of course to make our position even better till we wouldn't have all, you know, feminists ruling the countries. <laughs> but I'm going to agree with you. I think that every one of us is a role model at a different time yes. to a different person. And every if you ask me now, I might give you one person who I admire. And if you ask me in a week, I might be another person because there's always someone around me that I can learn from. Or exactly. he's shown me and something that I admire. So I agree but with you. But you know, it, it is like about identities. You know, if we would say in identity, this is really kind of a floating term. Yes. Now it's two of us friends and sisters. And, you know, tomorrow I'm a teacher if I'm teaching. And then I'm, I'm elected to our city council. Then I'm, you know, like next day, this is my role of a politician. It's all mixed. But what I love and I have to praise if ever I would be rich I would really have a small foundation called fund, like feminist aunt. Because I have this very minute when you say, I uh, hopefully are also role model to younger women. Mm. And I think this is, you know, that finally you and I can retire and, <laughs> and plant beautiful plants in our garden. Yes. I think it's important that we pass this knowledge that we have. Absolutely. To our, to our girls that we know. And I think I'm so proud that this very minute, I think I have 30 young women and maybe five young men that calls me Teta. And Teta means aunt. And Teta, uh, you know, I'm getting, let's say, this very minute messages and I was last summer even on a wedding of a famous famous young American actress played in a beautiful, uh, beautiful show called Orange is a New Black Women okay. in Prison. So from Emma Miles, I'm getting Dear Teta. <laughs> because she heard when we were on some meeting in LA ages ago, she just said, how Daniela from Sarajevo calls you Teta? And how, you know, uh, this one from Belgrade is called you Teta? I said, you can call me Teta. <laughs> you know, and you keep supporting young women. And I think this is uh, your role also what you are doing now. No, I agree with young you. Young women has to fight for their position, but has to stay 
their own being create, creative and being fierce. I agree. We need to lift them up, but to become their own people. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> I always love having a, always having love conversations with you. Inshallah, we get to meet sometime soon. Inshallah, yes, and this is nice how we use, you know, <laughs> from another country, yeah. country, this Inshallah. Inshallah, yes, uh, give my regards to all wonderful women and men that I know and hug your wonderful son. I will, and thank you very much for being on the show, and we will meet soon. Yes. Thank you, Radha. Thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions, and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, UN Woman, and see you on the next episode.